As you know, we've been doing a series on kingdom greatness, on kingdom greatness, and we are looking at character and lifestyle of the biblical Christian. Amen. And I said to you on Vision Sunday that this is what we're going to be focusing on this year. We're going to be looking at character and lifestyle of the believer. How many of you know that when you're a believer, you can't live the same way that unbelievers live? Amen. So don't say, I'm a believer, but I'm going to just live how I want to live. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work that way. And there are consequences when we don't do it. Amen. Right? And so this morning, I want to speak on the subject, sexual purity. Sexual purity. Say to the person next to you, sexual. Purity. I know some of you struggle with using that word in church. But I've got news for you this morning. You can use that word in church. Amen. All right. We're going to be talking about sexual purity. And I believe that we are dealing with a stronghold in society when we deal with this subject. So as I'm preaching, please understand, I'm also doing warfare. Amen. Amen. We're dealing with a principality in the region when we're talking about this. We're dealing with a principality in the region. If you look at the, the sexuality and the sexual... Um, dynamics of southern Africa. It's not the same in West Africa. How many of you know that? A lot of people will come from countries like Ghana, countries like Nigeria, and they come here and they're shocked. They're shocked when they see the promiscuity and they see what, go, what, what happens in this particular region. And there's some things that have become normal for a region, but we need to address them from the kingdom. Amen. And so today I'm going to look at sexual purity, but on another occasion I will look at other things. I will look at sexuality. I will explore that. How do we deal with people who are in sexual perversion? I'll also deal on another occasion steps to get out of it. But this morning I'm positioning this message as a call to sexual purity. Everyone get that? It's really a call to sexual purity. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28... Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the Bible says, God blessed them and said to them. Now, this is when we call this the dominion mandate, don't we? And God blessed them and said to them. Whenever a blessing happens in scripture, if you study that original word for blessing, it's got to do with words. It's something you actually say. And what is the first thing that God said to them? He says, be fruitful and increase in number. How does man increase in number, ladies and gentlemen? Before Adam and Eve had kids, did they just dream it and think it? So they just say, oh, we're going to multiply. Oh, we'll multiply. No, there's something they did, right, in order to be fruitful. Come on, I'm talking to someone right now, right? We, we we grown-ups, right? So isn't it interesting that the first mention of blessing involved being fruitful? So I want to say to you this morning, it says here, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. I want to say to you this morning, sex was God's idea. Sex was something that was invented by God. And you see, for a long time, because we're always talking to young people and saying, you mustn't do it, you mustn't do it, you mustn't do it, it must only be done in the right context. Somehow what gets into us is that sex is a bad thing. Sex is not a bad thing. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not a bad thing. God invented sex and he thought it was good. In fact, it was the first thing God referred to in the blessing. 
So in the right context, say to the person next to you, in the right context. Everything is about context, isn't it? In the right context, this is true. Outside of God's protective boundaries, there are negative consequences. Amen. Is fire good or bad? Fire is a good thing. I'm glad there is fire. I'm glad there is fire. But how many of you know that when it's out of control, it destroys? Amen? Is electricity a good thing? Uh, yeah, I know. Definitely. If you live here in this nation, you'll say, it's good. I was about to say, is Eskom a good thing? Okay. <laughs> it's two different things. Okay. Anyway, so electricity is good. We all know it's good. But let me tell you something. If you've got wires that are not insulated properly, all of a sudden electricity is a bad thing. There have been times, have you ever had a, a situation where you've got a toddler going to plugs? That plug is powering up your television and you're so happy about that. But when that little baby is going to that power supply, all of a sudden you get nervous. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the same with sex. Amen. And please, in church, we need to be comfortable saying that word. There's some people, no, just say intimacy. Say, why? Sexual intercourse. That's the word. Amen? Amen. Oh, when, when, when my husband and I, then we got together, then we were together. This happens when I'm counseling people. I'm trying to, together in what way? What are you talking about? <laughs> Amen? I like what Heath Lambert says. He's, he's a doctor in counseling, in pastoral counseling. says, God does not hate sex. He hates faithless sex with forbidden women or forbidden men. But he loves faithful sexual expressions in the context of marriage. He actually loves it. God loves it so much that he commands, not just that it happen, but that it be enjoyed to the point of intoxication. So those of you who are married, God wants you to enjoy sexual intimacy with your spouse. Amen? And by the way, we're going to talk about these things in a church setting. Because if we don't talk about it in a church setting, your kids, your teenagers are going to learn about it in the jungle. I don't want that to happen. If my son has a question in this area, I want to be the first person he goes to. Amen. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a time when something was said at school and so on. First person he comes to, he says, Dad, what's such and such? I'm like, where did you hear about that? So and so said it. Where did he hear about it? His sister told him. His big sister told him. I want him to come to me. And for some of you, your children don't come to you because you're not comfortable talking about these things. Amen. Just because your parents didn't tell you about these things, you don't have to pass that on to the next generation. Amen. Amen. Where people start learning about things in the jungle, and then you're like, what happened to my child? I'll tell you what happened. You didn't talk to them, Dad. You didn't talk to them, Mom. Amen. And this thing of, you know, you have some of these bishops and archbishops, and they're like, oh, we are Christians. We don't talk about S-E-X. So we never preach about it. Because we are holy Christians. And the guy's got a troop of kids following him like this. And so you can see he's done it. <laughs> he's got a troop of his own kids. And then you don't know about the others from the jungle. But people act like, oh, I'm more spiritual if I don't talk about this subject. 
The Bible has dedicated a whole book to this subject. Song of Solomon. Song of Songs. Amen? So now when you try to be these pseudo-spiritual people who don't talk about it, what happens when you're now trying to read the Bible and then you come across a whole book on it? And then you change your theology and you say, it's just symbolic. It's not just symbolic. It's actually talking about pure love between a man and a woman. Amen? And, and for some of you, you need to read it and get, get some tips. Seriously, for, for your love life. Married people I'm talking about. Amen? All right? Proverbs 30, verse 18 to 19 says, There are three things too wonderful for me. <laughs> this is cool. Four that I cannot understand. I, the poetry and the prose in the Bible is so powerful. Like, why doesn't you just say four things? Anyway, there are three things too wonderful for me. Four that I cannot understand. <laughs> Number one, the way of an eagle in the sky. I'm cool with that. You know, God made birds to fly. It's cool. The way of a snake on a rock. Have you ever wondered, like, what is he thinking of? Like, why doesn't he understand that? Why is it too... Yeah, snakes go on rocks, you know? The way of a ship at sea. Okay. But this one I agree with. And the way of a man with a maiden. So in other words, this issue of romance is something where he looks, the writer of Proverbs here, looks and he says, I don't understand it. It's too wonderful for me. The way of a man with a maiden. How many of you are feeling me on this? Where it's like, ah, this love thing, it's, it's complicated. You have someone who's living righteously in all other areas of life. They don't lie. They don't bribe. They don't steal. They don't cheat. Everything is fine. But in this one area, all of a sudden, they make this decision and you're like, what are you thinking? I don't understand it. Honestly, I don't. I'm a psychologist and I like to analyze things and so on. But this one, I don't understand. I don't understand it. Sex is a mystery. This whole issue of sex, it's a mystery. You know, you, you end up feeling so baffled, left baffled by some people's choices. Why would this person leave his beautiful wife and then go after some dodgy woman? Let's be honest, guys. We think it, don't we? When, you know when guys commit adultery and all of that kind of thing? You look at the person's wife, and we can all see. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You can all see. His wife is beautiful. She's pretty. And then you hear that he went off with this particular other person. And let's be honest. We sometimes, you, you know, there are times when you can sort of see, and then you can be like, oh, okay, yes, I can see how he was tempted here. And then there are other times when you're like... <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And then, we, and then we're confused and we're now wondering, what happened? What <laughs> okay. Why do women run to men who they know will beat them up? You know what I mean? So there'll be all these wonderful gentlemen going after them, nice, gentle people. And you see, it's like she just keeps falling for abuse. And yes, we can psychoanalyze it. Yes, yes, But this will be a smart person, a thinker. And you're like, in all other areas of your life, you, you think straight. In this area, <laughs> what happened? I mean, we don't laugh about it. The church has gone very quiet. 
can someone explain it to me? Because I'm like this guy, the writer of Proverbs, where he's like, this is too one for me. I cannot understand it. The way of a man with a maiden. I can't understand it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 to 20, it says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute? That's something else I don't understand why people would do that. Anyway, is one with her body, is one with her in body. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. And I find it interesting because when it says that, it's quoting scripture, right? Back in Genesis, that the two become one flesh. And it's talking about the marriage context. But now it's basically saying that when someone goes to a prostitute, he unites himself with her in body. The two become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. There's a very powerful revelation here. When you become a Christian, ladies and gentlemen, there's a oneness you develop in spirit with the Lord. When you now go off to express yourself in illicit sex, your body becomes one with that other person. When you have a full revelation of your oneness in spirit with the Lord, you will not go and join yourself with someone else, except in the context of marriage where God himself is there also. Are you following this morning? This is, this is such a powerful revelation. So people who get into illicit sexual behavior haven't got this revelation. Simple as that. All right? Now watch this. Watch this. It says, but he who unites himself with the Lord, that word unites is the word glue. It's basically gluing himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. The word for Lord there is the word kurios, which speaks of authority, which speaks of master. So I find it interesting. It doesn't just say he who unites himself with Jesus. It doesn't just say he who unites himself with God. It says he who unites himself with the master, the Lord. So it's the language of submission. It's the language of completely yielding. And it says here, very powerful, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. When you meditate on this particular scripture, it brings freedom to you. Amen? The Bible here says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. What is this talking about? Ultimately, any type of sin will end up affecting your physical body. But one of the things about sexual sin, it affects your physical body immediately. Amen? Research has actually been carried out, and you will see if you look at the research that there's actually a positive correlation, a positive correlation between fornication amongst ladies, amongst girls, like as teenagers, and depression later on. Do you know that? 
So there are consequences because you're sinning against your own body. And sometimes people have got this thing where they're like, ah, no, sexual is just like any other sin. But when you look in scripture, sexual sin, there's, it's distinguished from other sin. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. But your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you sin sexually, you're sinning against God's temple. There's certain things you don't do if you believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Amen? Let me ask you a question. What is your body for? The Bible says, therefore, honor God with your body. What is your body for? Do you have a revelation this morning, ladies and gentlemen? Do you have a revelation, South Africa? Do you have a revelation of what your body is for? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 to 5, the Bible says, All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, watch this, in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. So if you keep on sinning, it means you're not living in him. Amen? We can't do this thing where we keep saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But I'm living not like a Christian, not like a Christian, not like a Christian. You're either a Christian who's living in him, so you don't continue to sin, or you're on the other side. Amen? It's one thing for someone to make a mistake and fall. It's another thing for someone to have a lifestyle. Amen? And so if you've sinned in this particular area, the call to purity is that there's a place for forgiveness. There's a place for purification, like this scripture says, purify yourself. But you've got a choice this morning. You can either come to God in response to what I'm saying to you, or you can say, you know what, this Christianity thing is actually not for me. I want to live my own way. Amen. But you cannot do both. You cannot do both. And let me tell you something. We judged according to the light of revelation that we have. So the moment you hear a message on a particular topic, if you're listening here, if you're listening by way of internet, there's an expectation. And I'm going to give people an opportunity to repent afterwards. Amen. All right? So, so this is so, so powerful. It says, and in him is no sin. In Christ is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So someone can say, I'm born again. But if they continue living in sexual immorality, because that's what we're talking about today, they haven't seen him or known him. Are you following? They're in deception. Okay? Knowing God is the key to overcoming sin in your life. I like something that Andy Stanley said, nothing has stolen more dreams, dashed more hopes, broken up more families, and messed up more people psychologically than our propensity to disregard God's commands regarding sexual purity. Have you noticed the things that we agree on? 
So you'll find as Christians, it's like, oh, yeah, no, we shouldn't bribe. No, we shouldn't lie. Lying is bad. Oh, stealing is wrong. Right? But somehow it seems like the spirit of this age has caused believers, including pastors, to tone things down in this area. Have you wondered? Okay? Let me just say something. Whenever you see in scripture the word fornication, it's actually the Greek word porneo. That's where we get pornography from. It's the word porneo. And that word porneo in the Greek literally means to surrender. It, means, it literally means to give yourself over to. It literally means to give up to. That's what it actually means. You see, so when someone fornicates, what they're actually doing is they're giving into something. Okay? They're giving into something. It actually has connotations of worship. You know when we say, I surrender all. You know when we sing like that, I surrender. That's porneo, porneo, right? It's the equivalent of that. We're saying, I surrender to the Lord. I give myself to the Lord. But the word here for fornication is someone who gives in to someone else's body. Amen? And that's why if you look at uh, traditional vows, very often when people get married, what do they say? They say, I worship thee with my body. You've heard that before, right? What they're basically saying is, I surrender my body to you. And in a marriage context, it's appropriate. Amen? It's appropriate in a marriage context. But if you do that outside of marriage, do you know what you're really saying? I surrender my body to you and everything that your body comes with. That's why we talk about STDs. STDs are not just sexually transmitted diseases. They're also sexually transmitted demons. Are you following? You're basically saying, I'm becoming one with you, and all the stuff that has a legal right in your life, it's also welcome here. I've surrendered my body. So what does the Bible say about sexual purity? Let's unpack what does the Bible say about sexual purity. Number one, sexual purity is always God's will for you. Sexual purity is always God's will for you. Don't tone it down. You know, sometimes people tone things down and they say, but we're going to get married anyway. We're planning to get married. Or we're married in our heart. You know, that, 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 that document doesn't matter, Paul. You know, I just know in our heart we are married, so God even sees it. No. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. And if you study biblical covenant, you'll know that it's something that is done publicly. In other words, before witnesses. That's why when you sign that document, when you're legally getting married, it's, in, it's before people. Even when you do traditional marriages, and so on, it's in front of people. You don't do a traditional marriage and it's just the two of you by yourselves. Amen? To, to know that someone is married, the marriage must have happened. There must be a moment where you're not yet married and now you're married because this thing happened. And everyone around you should actually know. It mustn't be a case of some people think we are married and some people don't know we are married. That's why there's often confusion. One guy is in, in one of my seminars and I asked him, so how many of you are married here? And he was, he was ah, engaged, ah, you know, with the African, yeah, I'm sort of engaged. One moment he's calling a fiance, next moment he's calling a wife. And I see her coming in with the baby type of thing after the workshop. It must be clear in your mind 
I'm not yet married. Now I'm married because this has happened. Is everyone following? Okay. None of these gray areas. Oh, at a certain point, we started sleeping with each other because we kind of sort of knew and sort of felt one day we would get married. It's still fornication. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay. Even if you grew up seeing a lot of polygamy around you, God operates by his standards, not your family's standards. Even if your parents endorsed it. You know, a lot of people grew up in homes where their parents were fine with it. Hey, come, boyfriend, cool. Everything is fine. So maybe your conscience has been seared in this area. You know what I mean when a conscience is seared, right? You saw it so much, you were so used to it that you don't feel any conviction anymore. It's like when a hot iron burns you. And then you pinch yourself then, you can't feel anything. You're numb there. You're not sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in that area. There's some people like that. I've had to counsel people where I then say to them, okay, you've got a small house on the side. You all know the concept of a small house, right? Where a guy's cheating on his wife and he's looking after other women on the side. I'm thinking to myself, why didn't you just decide up front before you said I do to this woman and say, listen, I'm a polygamist and I want to marry many people. Why didn't you just say that? Instead of saying, I do to this woman, but in your loins, you're still a polygamist and doing things on the side. Amen? The church needs to address these things. So sexual purity is always God's will for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, the process of becoming holy. That is... Now watch, it's just said, this is the will of God. So if you want to know what's God's will concerning how you live, how you relate, this is the will of God. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you, not just pastors, not just the group of people who come to prayer meetings, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, in other words, your own body, in sanctification and in honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So here there's a distinction between how Christians live and how the world lives. Amen? In many churches today, you've got people cohabiting. They just come, and pastors don't really know what's happening in every single person's life and so on. And these people come, and they'll be there in praise and worship. They'll be there going for it. Yet in a major area of their lives, they're living in sin. This should not be so. That's how the world operates, not us. Amen? And sometimes when you're exposed to things on television where the norm is, oh, we've moved in. And there you are attending friends' parties where they're celebrating that we've moved in together. We've now moved in together. And you're also there as a Christian, endorsing it. Oh, you've moved in. Oh, congratulations. Oh, the new kettle. Oh, I love your kettle. Oh, I love your stuff. You're there. Celebrating. The, the Gentiles operate like that. Why? Because they don't know God. But you who knows God has to have a different standard. Amen? Too many people are rationalizing away their fornication. Rationalizing away their fornication. Number two, we're called to be good stewards of our bodies. We're called to be good stewards of our bodies. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Meditate on this scripture. Lord, what does it mean to possess my own vessel, my body, in sanctification, set-apartness, holiness, and in honor? What does it mean to honor my own body? Can we go there? What does it mean, ladies, to honor your own body? It comes through in how you dress. Thanks for those two amens, those first two amens. It comes through in how you dress. As a Christian woman, you can't just dress anyhow. Amen? You honor your body by how you dress. Okay? The Bible says, do not cause your brother to stumble. So you say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to be modest. And modest can be nice. Sometimes people have got this thing of like, I have to be very sensual in how I dress in order to look nice. That's the spirit of the age. That's the spirit of what? It's the spirit of the age that you now need to feel you have to wear minis and you have to show lots of cleavage just to be attractive. That means you're dishonoring your own body. That means you're underestimating the beauty you actually have. Ladies, I've got news for you. You're beautiful even when you're clothed nicely and modestly. You're still beautiful. Don't cheapen yourself by feeling like, oh, I now have to show this, and I now have to show that, and I now have to wear this extra tight thing just to be attractive. That means you don't really believe in your beauty. Amen? Amen. This is where you just look straight. You just look straight ahead of you, okay? Just look straight. (laughs) Don't say amen too loudly and so on because people are going to be like, okay, is God convicting you? Or are you saying amen for the other sister over there? For For some of you, you're going to have to go to your wardrobe. No, seriously. If you're truly receiving what I'm saying, some of you will have to go to your wardrobe and actually get rid of some of the clothing. That's true, repentance. Instead of like, no, I'm just keeping it here for just in case, in case I backslide one day, I don't know. (laughs) Amen? And by the way, the men in the room, you also don't want to be those type of men where you, you don't know how to control your eyes. So it's like, ah, that sister was wearing this, so it caused me to stumble. I couldn't worship us. You must also grow up and just not be looking at that sister. Because the reality is they're going to be prostitutes who come to church. And they haven't yet been discipled. And they'll still be dressed like prostitutes when they come to church. Are you hearing me? So they'll come to church. So what are you going to do? Are you going to say, pastor, I couldn't worship because that prostitute. You can't say that. Amen. And what, do you, what happens when you go into the world and you're now going to the workplace? There are lots of women who will come having meetings with you where everything is hanging out. What will you do? So sometimes when men get into this thing of that's all they talk about, ah, these women, they dress like this and so on, they're revealing that they themselves also have an issue. You get what I'm saying, right? What will you do when you go to the beach? You can't avoid all beaches. You'll go to the beach and you will see all sorts of people clad in all sorts of ways. So gentlemen, you also have to control what you look at. You can't now just be this, this evangelist against how women dress, you know? Ah, oh, these women are trying to control. You can't control it. But in a church setting, it's our responsibility to teach and to say, you know what? This is the standard. Amen. Amen. 
Do you know the purpose of your body? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 13 says, Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. So we know the purpose of the stomach, right? But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Your body is for the Lord. Number three, we should completely avoid sexual immorality. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee immorality. Let me say something. Sexual immorality is one of those things where the only way to deal with it is to flee from it. Do you know that there are other types of temptations where the temptation can be there in the same room, but you're not tempted? But the thing about sexual immorality is you can spend, married men, you can spend inordinate amount of time with a female who you weren't attracted to initially, like secretaries and, and so on. I'm just talking about women who you might spend time with. You weren't attracted to them initially, but because you were always with them talking deep, intimate things, an affair starts. Sexual immorality is one of those areas where you have to flee. Do you remember what happened with Joseph? What did he do? With Potiphar's wife. He could have just been like, hey, I'm a strong Christian. You know, it takes a while. You know, these garments of mine and my Technicolor dream coat and, you know. He... Right? I don't think he had it anymore. But anyway, um, he could have been like, no, it will take a long time. I'll never be tempted. This is an area you have to flee. And that's why the Bible says, avoid the appearance of evil. Avoid the appearance of evil. In other words, when people look, they can't even question anything. They can't even say, ah, what were those two doing late at night, walking together? They can't even look at that. Why? You are fleeing immorality. Amen? There's no sign of it. No one can falsely accuse you because you always have an alibi. Your spouse knows all your movements. Amen? And I want to encourage you for the married people here, there's a free online course that we've got. If you go to marriagecoach.co.za, based on the seminar we did, remember that breakfast seminar we did here, right? On affair-proofing your marriage. It's now a free online course. Download it and you'll see the material that we covered there. Amen. So we must flee immorality. That word again is ponea, which means to surrender or to sell off yourself, selling off. I like what Heath Lambert says. He says, until God is your chief concern, until sinning against him is what makes your heart break, you will never turn the corner. Until God is your chief concern. So some people will say, ah, oh, no, yeah, but my boyfriend, you know what? I'm leaving it up to God. God will just, you know, yeah, I know he's cheated on me before, but ah, I, don't, I don't think it will happen again. Until God is your boyfriend or your husband's chief concern. Until sinning against God is what makes his heart break. He will never turn the corner, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why I say to people, you know what? This situation of yours will never change until this person is radically delivered. This is not the kind of thing where someone just changes because of um, strength of will. I know I just changed my mindset. You know, pastor, it's just about changing my mindset. It doesn't work. That demon is too strong for just changing your mindset. Amen? Number four. 
There are consequences to sexual immorality. Some people struggle to understand this. There are consequences to sexual immorality. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all. You know what this tells me? Marriage must be honored not just by married people. Marriage must be honored by unmarried people. And one of the ways you honor marriage is you say, there are certain things that God has said are only for marriage. Therefore, we'll honor marriage. When people move in together, when people start to have sex before they are married, they are dishonoring marriage. They're dishonoring the institution of marriage. Amen? Now, this is, this is amazing when you look at it because it says the consequence. It says, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators. I'm amazed how many Christians want, but where, where in the Bible does it really say, where in the Bible? Here, I'm showing you now. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Oh, let me check. Is this Old Testament? Oh, book of Hebrews, New Testament. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let me bring it home a bit more. If you are living a life of fornication right now, or adultery right now, God will judge you. Not the sin. It doesn't say God will judge fornication. It doesn't soften it that way. It says if you're a fornicator and an adulterer, God will judge you. Newsflash for all of you who like to talk about God's grace and you cheapen God's grace. You cheapen God's grace. It doesn't work that way. We talk about sin. We talk about the seriousness of sin. We talk about the consequences of sin. And then we say God's grace is bigger than that. But we don't downplay the seriousness of the sin. Amen? Thank you. A, a few more people could actually also do with a clap. Right? Colossians 3 verse 5 to 6 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality is the first thing that comes up. Impurity, lust, de evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. All these things, they're idolatry. It says, put them to death. Whose responsibility is it, ladies and gentlemen? Put them to death. Okay? Now, why? Why do we need to put them to death? Verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Ah, but isn't that Old Testament? Let me check. Oh, Colossians. Last time I checked, Colossians is in the New Testament. Wrath of God coming? New Testament? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, New Testament. Amen? So don't let people con you. Don't let people say to you, ah, no, this doesn't really count. Ah, no, 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 God doesn't really mind. The Bible says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And we don't block out these verses conven conveniently. The Bible says it. Amen. Does the wrath of God have to affect you and I? doesn't have to. If we work with scripture, what does the Bible say? Let me put these things to death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 10, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And what's the first thing is that, that's highlighted as an example? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, 
nor adulterers. And please note, it distinguishes between, a for, between fornication and adultery. Because there's some people who are like, but I'm going to get married to this person anyway, so it's fine. We love each other. We're just doing it beforehand. So it's okay. No, that's fornication. That's what it's called in scripture. Amen? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. In the NIV it says, nor men who have sex with other men. Amen? Amen? So when people say, no, no, that's hate speech, just hate speech, they must first ban the Bible before they call it hate speech. Because last time I checked, the Bible is fine. They didn't say, oh, we're banning the Bible. So we're now preaching the Bible and they're saying it's hate speech. So they need to come and actually analyze the Bible and say, which scriptures are we not, not allowed to talk about anymore? Amen? Amen? But if we're saying it to people who say they're Christians and they agree with the Bible, then I can preach it as much as I like. Amen? Amen. All right? So, so here we see all these people included. And it says, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear. So why are people confused? Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and the first one, immorality. And typically when you just see it says immorality, it's usually just talking about sexual immorality. Okay? Impurity. Sensuality. Some people, you know, they dance in a very sensual way. You know what I'm talking about? And they think they're fine. They think that's okay. Part of sexual purity includes things like breaking away from lust, breaking away from being sensual in how you carry yourself. Amen? All those things, my friends, they attract demons. And it gives many other examples. Idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's not joke about this. Let's not con people and say, God understands, okay, you're still a believer, you're just living the other way. It's okay. Because the Bible doesn't say that. Now you've all gone really, really quiet on me, which is fine. It's interesting how all these passages are very similar, isn't it? Number five, the Bible is clear about the Christian position on sexual immorality and perversion. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 to 11, it says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. Oh, can we have examples of these? Yes, it gives us examples. The ungodly and sinful. The unholy and irreligious. For those who kill their fathers or mothers. For murderers. Verse 10. For the sexually immoral. For those practicing homosexuality. For slave traders and liars and perjurers. And for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that confirms the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, blessed God, which he entrusted to me. 
So sexual immorality is a deed of the flesh. Let's not tone it down by saying it's his sexual expression. Amen. Number six, know that your body belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? One of the most powerful revelations that will help you to overcome addiction, to come to a place of purity in all aspects of your life, is understanding that you were bought by the precious blood of Jesus. What we covered in communion, you were bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And you don't belong to yourself. My body is not my own. It belongs to the Lord. And I have to honor him with my body. Amen? And let me just say this very quickly. Let me just say this. When we say all these things are wrong, biblically, we don't mince our words about it. It is wrong. It's against scripture. But it doesn't mean we are homophobic. It doesn't mean that when someone who practices homosexuality is around us, we're like all and acting all funny. I've counseled people who've struggled with same-sex attraction, but they didn't necessarily end up getting into homosexuality, but they struggled with same-sex attraction, and there are ways of overcoming that. I want to encourage you, if those of you who haven't got the book on freedom, you know my book on freedom at the back, get it. Because at the back of it, there are all sorts of prayers I've got. They're crafted prayers where you can renounce perversion, where you can renounce sexual sin, where you can break its hold off you. It's there. The material is there. I want to encourage you to make use of that material. Amen? Those of you who struggle with some of these perversions, set up an appointment with us. These are things we've done for years where we minister to people. A lot of people struggle with a crisis in masculinity. And there are ways of counseling people and bringing about a deliverance so that you are whole before the Lord. Amen? Some of you, maybe you struggle with sex addiction. You're a sex addict. You know, there's some people who are sex addicts. We can, we've sent people for counseling for those types of things. Okay? What we're saying is we're not condemning people and saying, ooh, bad, bad, naughty, naughty. We're saying admit that what you're doing is not the Christian way of living. Admit it. Face up to your sin. Come here. Be in the light. And we will minister deliverance. Amen? And I've said this before. When, when I counsel people, I say to them, guys, there's no shame. Come out. Talk about it. And what you're going to share with me, I've probably seen ten times worse. From my experience, I've seen worse. You're not the only one. Amen? That's how we come to a place of freedom. But the problem is a lot of Christians are too proud. So you rebuke someone, you counsel someone, they leave the church. And then they go to the next church until they're found out. Then they leave. Seriously, that, that's the pattern with a lot of people. It's called the orphan spirit where people don't know how to be corrected. And sometimes it's because of pride. People are too proud. Like the pastor now knows this about me. He'll treat me differently. There are people who've confessed all sorts of things to me. They've confessed all sorts of things to me. And we still love on them. We still restore them. We still raise them up. What did Jesus say with a woman who was caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. 
says, neither do I condemn you. So we don't condemn you. But what we do say is, go and sin no more. Amen? But if you come to us and you say, I've done this, but you're not willing to change, that's when we say, so why are you still in this church? Because part of coming and saying, I'm under this leadership, it's I'm open to you correcting me. If we cannot correct you in your lifestyle, what are you still doing here? You're wasting our time. And for those of you who thought I said that it was a slip of the tongue, I was trying to be harsh and so on, let me say it again in case you think that I just said it by accident. You're wasting our time. Don't keep coming to church. I'm telling you right now, don't keep coming to church but refusing to change. And if you disagree with what I've just said, go and read the New Testament and you see the lifestyle there. All right. So, um, number seven. Marriages should be fast-tracked in order to avoid immorality. It sounds a bit strange saying that, but the Bible is clear. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, but if they do not have self-control, this is talking about people who want to get married. If they don't have self-control, let them marry. So why do people come out and say like, ah, no, it's okay. Yeah, fornication, it's fine if you think you're going to be getting married anyway. When Paul the Apostle basically is saying, if you can't control yourself, get married. And why does he say get married? He says, it's better for you to marry than to burn with passion. Amen? Sometimes people get into super duper long courtships. For years and years. And it's not like it's a long distance relationship or anything. And some of the hula hoops people put for people to get married nowadays. They make it so difficult for people to get married. And then people end up fornicating, inviting demons into their lives. That's really what they're doing. The amount of deliverance we have to end up doing and so on. And I'm saying, you know what? Just get married. If you're insisting on getting married and you want to get married, rather get married sooner than later, instead of saying, ah, oh, no, I just want to honor my family and because we have to do this cultural thing and so on. Because now you're honoring your family more than you're honoring God because you're fornicating. Are you following? We don't have to have big, fancy, expensive weddings. These are not the 80s. You know, back in the 80s, people have big, fancy weddings and so on. You don't have to have that. It's much better to have a simple wedding and then use the money to buy your first house or, you know, do things like that. Now, if you want to have a fancy wedding, you can have a fancy wedding. I'm not against fancy weddings. But I'm, not say but I'm saying to you, don't spend months and months and months not getting married just because you want to have the fancy wedding. Amen? And then you end up sinning in the process. It's better to get married, especially if you know that this is the right person for you. Make it simple. Keep it simple. <laughs> I like how Sipo is nodding there while he's doing the, the, the slides and so on. <laughs> later this year, Sipo. Later this year, ne? Praise God. <laughs> uh, all right? Very, very important. Number eight, you can change and be delivered in the area of sexual purity. You can change and be delivered in the area of sexual purity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, 
Now, who's he talking about? Well, from verse 8 to 10, he's just been describing homosexuals, adulterers, and drunkards. And then he says, such were some of you. So in other words, you can come from a background of homosexuality. You can come from a background of being a drunkard. Such were some of you, but now you've been sanctified. Amen? So we don't write off people and say, oh, that person will never change. No, we're saying God can change you. Amen? In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Heath Lambert says, Every instance of treasuring images of sexual immorality in our hearts, every eager glance at pornography, all our lustful gawking, everything is paid for by Jesus in his death for sinners. That's the good news. That's the good news. Number nine, Christians must have a different standard. Say that to the person next to you, please. Christians must have a different standard. Okay, I sort of heard what you were saying, right? Ephesians 5 verse 3 says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So we're going to be very direct about these things. Mustn't be named among you. Colossians 3 verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Acts 15 verse 20, But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Now it's important to understand that these guys who worshipped these Greek and Roman gods, they had temple prostitutes. So sexuality and sexual expression and sexual sin and fornication was all part of the package of their worship. Amen? And at some stage, I'll go into detail with it because some people do all sorts of things and they actually invite spirits of whoredom into their lives. And then you wonder, this nice, sweet lady, why is she doing this dodgy stuff? How does it work? And it's because there's a spirit of whoredom that she opened herself up to and now this thing has been following her life and she needs deliverance from it. Amen? Amen. This is so important. So when he talks about idolatry and things that have been strangled from blood and all that kind of thing, he mixes in fornication there because it was part of their worship. And he's basically saying, guys, it should not be so amongst you believers. Number 10, illegitimacy has spiritual consequences that must be dealt with. So when people have children out of wedlock, often people just have the baby and so on, it's so important to pray over that child. It's so important to pray over that child. Those of you who might have kids on the side, kids from before you got married, kids on the side, that aren't under your care right now, number one, you must look after those children. There's blessing in doing so. But part of the father's blessing, part of the mother's blessing is actually breaking off the the spirit of illegitimacy. There are lots of people who we counsel today and we say, how did you grow up? What happened? Tell me, how were you conceived? Remember how David, what did David say? He says, in sin I was conceived 
And that's why if you study commentaries and so on, it's like, uh, it seems like there was something that happened between David's dad and David's mom. Who was David's mom actually? And then you unpack it further and you see that he was possibly conceived illegitimately. Okay? And there are different theories about it. But I find it interesting that David, this wonderful warrior, this guy who was a wonderful worshiper, what was that one area of weakness? It was, it was in this area of, of adultery. It was in this area of sexual sin. So if you were illegitimate and you've seen in your life that, wait a minute, there are certain things that seem to follow me and I've noticed I'll try and get married and then I'll try and do Things just don't seem to work out in this area. I'm telling you right now, come and we will pray for you and we will break every door. We'll, we'll close every door that was opened up because of the circumstances of your conception. Are you following me this morning? There's grace, there's blessing, but we need to acknowledge that there are consequences when it comes to sin. In Deuteronomy 23 verse 2, it says, No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Now in the dispensation of God's grace, what happens? We recognize the sin and what comes out of it, but we say, let's now break this thing so that there's blessing over this person. Amen. Very, very important. In Deuteronomy 22, I'm going to read from verse 23 to 25. Let me, let, me highlight it, let me highlight it this way. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and lies with her. Are you guys following what's going on here? If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and lies with her. Look how it carries on. Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death. This just shows you the seriousness of what we're talking about. Amen? Now this is obviously Old Testament. It doesn't happen in the New Testament, but there's still consequences. Right? The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, okay, for help. And the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus, this is the point. You shall purge the evil from among you. When we see the consequences of sin in the Old Testament, it gives us a picture of how God sees the particular thing. You know, in the Old Testament, if someone stole something because they were hungry, what were the consequences? The consequences weren't that major. I know we don't like theft and so on, but if someone stole something, like when someone steals food because they were hungry, the consequences were not that major. Often when it came to stealing, they would say, okay, you know what, you must pay them back seven times over. But look at the consequences of adultery. And in this situation, it's about sleeping with someone who's pledged to be married to someone else. Both of them were stoned. Are you following this morning? I'm wanting us to see, I'm wanting this generation to see the seriousness of sin. And then when we realize that God still forgives us, we realize how big His grace is. Amen. Number 11, sexual purity results in blessing. Sexual purity results in blessing. Acts 15 verse 29 says that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols 
and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Okay? Other translations say you are blessed. You will do well. Right? If you keep yourself from such things. And I find it interesting that this is his farewell. He's saying cheers to these guys who he's just been with. And the last thing he basically says is, guys, keep yourselves from fornication. Number 12, sex is an act of worship. Be careful who you give yourself over to. In Ephesians 4 verse 19, it says, And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You know what's happening? This is spiritual language. Because when you practice certain things, you're opening yourself up to the spirit behind it. And when you do so, that unclean spirit that caused you to fornicate can also manifest in other forms of uncleanness. Amen. This is why demons attach themselves to such practices. You can give yourself over to an unclean spirit of sensuality. I want to close by saying this. It's a quote from Heath Lambert. He says, This is the vicious cycle of lust. Lust never has what it wants because it never has enough. Lust steals joy by creating an endless state of discontentment in the constant search for that one next thing you don't have yet. Lust is never happy because lust is never full. This is what we're going to do. And whether you're in Johannesburg or listening by way of the internet or here in this room, I don't want to embarrass anyone. So we're going to do a prayer of consecration. Whether you are currently in sin or you just want to make a commitment to live a life of purity. Are you following? We want to make that commitment as a church. So I'm hoping most people will stand up. Maybe you're a single person and you're basically saying, I am, I am embracing the purity code. This is a commitment I'm making to keep myself for my spouse. I want to encourage you to make these types of commitments and I'll make available to you, if you get the notes from the internet, this purity code where you can actually see it and you paste it on your wall. You see it in front of you. You make it a screensaver in, uh, for, for your computer or your phone. It's a purity code. And do something symbolic. I want to encourage the fathers. Do something symbolic with your daughters, with your sons. For some people, they'll get a purity ring. And they'll put it on and it's a reminder of the purity code that they've embraced this morning. Amen. Maybe you're married and you're saying, you know what, pastor, I might not be going around and sleeping with other people. But when you spoke about being sensual, when you spoke about flirting, when you spoke about how we dress, when you spoke about honoring my body, I want to make a commitment according to this purity code. Amen. I'm going to ask us to stand as a congregation. This is what we call political will. Political will. What is political will? It's where we say we are ruthlessly coming against this spirit in the region. We are ruthlessly coming against this thing and we are saying enough is enough. We want it to be uprooted in our midst. In Jesus' name. 
My body was not made to participate in any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. Instead, it was made to glorify God. And I've got all the verses, so you'll see the verses when you actually get it. My body belongs to him because he purchased it with the blood of Jesus. As a result, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. And I am now one with God. I will not defile this temple by having sex outside of marriage. I choose not to look at anyone in a lustful way. I know how to abstain from sexual sin and honor God with my body. I purpose not to damage my soul by participating in sex outside of marriage. Neither do I go to places or associate with people who tempt me to have sex outside of marriage. I allow the wisdom and knowledge of God to control my thoughts so I can avoid immoral people who try to seduce me. I guard my heart. I guard my mind by meditating on God's word daily. I will not allow any moral thoughts to stay in my mind. Instead, I cast down every thought that is contrary to God's word by speaking the word over my life. I do not look to the right I do not look to the left, but straight ahead to the word of God. Then finally, I will not allow past sins to hinder me from inheriting the blessings of God and his word. In Jesus' name. Father, I ask that you cleanse me. Father, I ask that you deliver me from any distortion that will stop me from experiencing your best in my marriage and in my life. I choose today to honor my body and to honor your Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of me. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for our church right now. And I thank you for these congregations. And I thank you, Lord, for purity. I thank you that it's a new day of cleansing. I thank you, Father God, that where things have followed people because of past sin, that we're drawing a line in the sand, we're drawing a line in the spirit right now, and we're closing every door. And I thank you, Father, for the grace for true repentance, for true repentance. And that this word will not be robbed 
from the people of God. I pray right now, Lord, that you give each one courage to flee immorality. If it's an illicit relationship, courage to repent of that relationship, to step out of it and to say no more and to deal with it ruthlessly, to embarrass sin before sin embarrasses them. I come against every lie of the enemy that will keep the people of God bound in sin. And I thank you for a cleansing that your church would move on to its next level. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Come on, clap to the Lord and just thank him for his goodness.